Dr. Allen, Mayor West, thanks again for being here and reminding us of how we can be salt and light. We live in a culture and a time in which so oftentimes we're reminded that there needs to be a separation between church and state, and we agree, but there doesn't need to be a separation of church and marketplace. We need to be on Main Street, and so thank you for reminding us of how we can be uh, salt and light. And I'll also remind everybody in the church family to save two dates. Uh, already been instructed once before today, but March Madness officially begins on the 19th, but it starts here at Westgate on March the 2nd. That's Mad Saturday, Make a Difference Saturday, when we will go out to the West End Little League. We'll encounter young families whose kids are involved in baseball and give them the opportunity for us to pray with them, to become acquainted with them, and hopefully be an avenue for them to find the Lord if they don't yet know Him. So I hope that all of you will be here for a part of that. It's amazing that we have thousands of people on our parking lot every single week. And this is a great opportunity for us to try to connect with them. The second date, we have all these save the dates, the second date for you to save is February 23rd, 2025. That'll be the 30th anniversary for Jeff and Renee Sandusky here at our church. Today's their 29th anniversary, and we want to celebrate that. We're grateful for them. And Jeff, thank you again for your ministry to Nassar. Nassar. Thank you for your ministry. I almost violated a cardinal rule there. Thank you for your ministry and the difference that has made. I was listening to Jeff's sermon on the way back uh, from being with our daughter and son-in-law and grandkids, and we, we now have a fifth grandchild, a grandson. Uh, I am confident he is going to be one strong hombre because he has four very strong-willed sisters. And so... Uh, I was making my way back. Michelle is still up there helping to, to field all the chaos that's going on in that household. But I was listening to Jeff's message on the way back. And again, what a great, important reminder for us to pray instead of worry, which I've shared with you before, that great Jamaican proverb. This was introduced to a Jamaican man to me in my previous ministry over in Houston. And he said, we have a proverb in Jamaica that goes like this. If you're going to pray, don't worry. If you're going to worry, don't pray. And I think Jeff reminded us of that last week, speaking from Philippians chapter 4. Well, as we continue our series, Route 66, I'm reminded that I need to put the metal, pedal to the metal quickly because we have a long ways to cover in short time here today. We get to the book of Joshua, and the theme that we're going to see is it's divide and conquer. You can find that in the Pew Bible, page 330. But this is the first of 12 historical books that we'll be looking at as we continue this journey. And those historical books are going to span about a thousand years of time. Joshua does involve a military campaign where Joshua literally does divide and conquer Canaan. Central campaign in which he goes right through the heart of the land. Then he has a southern campaign and then a northern campaign to divide and conquer. Joshua's conquest has literally been studied and implemented by military strategists throughout the world. And we even have a phrase for that today, divide and conquer. We usually don't use it in military terms, but we use it in trying to divide tasks up into to doable pieces that we can manage. But Joshua is far more than a book of battles. It reveals the history of God that is unfolding his plan for saving humanity through Jesus Christ. The opening lines of Joshua remind us What's at work here? 
ultimate victory comes from a heart that is devoted to God and his word. Look at Joshua chapter one, verse eight. You've probably memorized this. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. If we were to do that, I think we could take a very common phrase and repurpose it. Have you ever typed L-O-L as a text to someone in response to something that you saw? What does it mean? You know it means laugh out loud. But I think it could be repurposed to mean like our Lord. We have a phrase here at Westgate in which we say, live and love like Christ. What if we lived and loved like our Lord? What if every time we saw LOL, we were reminded like our Lord, we are trying to live like our Lord. That's what Joshua is talking about, what God was reminding in the beginning. And if we live like our Lord, I guarantee you, you will have inner laughter that cannot be contained. As we look at this book, we're gonna find that dividing sovereignty and responsibility is what leads to conquest in our lives. There's a phrase that we've oftentimes heard, work like it's all up to you and pray like it's all up to God. The book of Joshua defines that and illustrates that. In the very beginning, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. That's your responsibility, be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you in Joshua 1.9. Our strength and our courage come from God alone. And that's why we see in chapter five that they celebrated the Passover before they even started moving into the promised land. It's to say that first and foremost, we realize our courage and our strength comes from the Lord. What we should notice most in Joshua and in every book of the Bible is that God is at the very center of everything. Yes, you will see military campaigns, and yes, you will see tribes conquering the land, but what we need to see more than anything else is God at the very center, because if God is not at the center of it, there is nothing to exist. Joshua 3 and 4, we find that God puts, moves the people into the promised land by dividing the Jordan in half. And in Joshua 4, 23 through 24, it says that God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea. It's a commentary to say, the miracle of the people coming out of Egypt going through the Red Sea on dry land, it really was a miracle because the Jordan itself was at flood stage when they went across it and God stopped at the water and they walked across it on dry ground. It is a reminder, as it would say in verse 24, the reason for this is that we might fear and know the Lord. And Joshua 5 through 8, before they go into the promised land, before they, take, before they take Jericho, Joshua meets the Lord, and he's reminded that God is the one who is in charge. Consequently, Joshua bows down and worships him, and we'll get back to that in just a couple of minutes. Presidents Lincoln and Reagan voice this understanding as they both, both acknowledge that the real issue is not whether God is on our side, but whether we are determined to be on his side. We're called to do the same thing. Bow to the sovereignty of God and shoulder up our responsibility that he's called us to do. We see this, first of all, in the Battle of Jericho. Now, let's be honest. Israel looks more like a bunch of gypsies than an army as they come to Jericho and they circle around it blowing horns. But God is revealing an important truth here. 
that he has authority over all things, even brick and mortar walls. And the victory, as they see, is found completely in him. It's reminiscent of Zechariah 4, 6, in which God said to Zerubbabel, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Those of you that have been here a long time, you remember that after Hurricane Ike, we had to redo the sanctuary because of the damage that we had, and we we redid the stage. We pulled it back and put a little point in it, and right here as they were finishing this part up, I came in and I took a sheet of paper and I put Zechariah 4, 6, and it stands right underneath. Whoever speaks from this platform, May they be reminded, it is not by our might, it is not by our power, but it is by the Spirit of the Lord Almighty. It's a visual reminder, even though we can't see it, it's a tangible reminder that all the power and the victory comes from God. We see how true this is in the second battle, where the people are defeated by the small town of Ai, or I. It's so much more fun to pronounce it Ai. Most of the time it's actually pronounced I, and I think it's somewhat ironic in the time in which we're living that we're getting, hitting, getting hit by a tsunami of AI technology. Well, anyway, as we go back to the city of I or AI, your preference, we see that the primary battle is with the heart as demonstrated by Achan in chapter seven of Joshua. Uniquely, this is the only sin of commission that we find in the book of Joshua. There are many sins of omission when they didn't do what God had called them to do, but this is the only one that we see where they did something that they shouldn't have done, and that was Achan. You recall the story. At Jericho, God said, you don't take any of the plunder. It all belongs to me. And Achan took what was really the value of about a year's worth of salary or income. And in many ways, his heart is reflective of our hearts, duplicious disobeying God when we think it's to our advantage. That's exactly what he did. In some ways, he was taking a shortcut that he would generate more income in a faster manner. One of the great lessons here is how we so oftentimes get ahead of God. Because in Jericho, God said, you can't have any of the plunder. But Achan said, well, that's just not a great rule, so I'm going to violate that. But what did God do at Ai? He allowed them to take the plunder If only Achan had lived by God's time frame. What a great reminder for us. One commentator noted it this way, the church is never improved by any member's sin. Does Westgate ever get better when any of us sin? That'd be a great time to say no. (laughs) Not at all. Our families are never improved by sin. Our communities are never improved by sin. We need to be faithful and obedient to God. And people throughout the book of Joshua are given the opportunity to repent and to live, as evidenced by Rahab in Jericho. What happened there? She saw who God was. And even with her checkered background, she said, I believe in your God. And interesting enough, we find her name listed in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The the land is filled with those who worship idols and practice all kinds of evil. And for the 400 years that they were down in Egypt as slaves, God was giving Canaan the opportunity to repent, but they only got worse. And so the decree is given that when they go into the land, they will completely take over the land 
Ezekiel 33:11 for those of us that are feeling uncomfortable about all this. This is one of the most uncomfortable books in the Bible. When we take the time to pause and reflect on what is happening, that God is leading his people in to completely dominate and exterminate those who will not bend the knee to the Lord, we struggle with that. But we need to be reminded of what we see in Ezekiel 33:11 that God says I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. My pleasure is found rather in them turning to me and living. The same is repeated in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Joshua is a vivid reminder of sinfulness and God's judgment on the world for our sin and the reminder that the only escape is through Jesus Christ. God's wrath has already been poured out on Jesus Christ, on our behalf. But if we don't accept that gift of eternal life, then his wrath will be poured out on us. And Joshua is a reminder of that. Joshua chapters nine through 11. It's interesting, 911, chapters nine through 11. 911 is what we call for help. But we find in these chapters that Joshua didn't seek the Lord's guidance. Very unique story. The Gibeonites, who live about 20 miles away from where the Israelites are, about the distance from here to Silsby, they put together this ruse in which they come to see Joshua and they have all of these old clothes that are worn out and they have dried out bread and they have wineskins that are falling apart. They're pretending as if they've come from a very long distant country. And Joshua, without consulting the Lord, builds a relation, an alliance with them, a covenant with them in which they will not destroy them. And then they find out that they only live in Silsby. <laughs> that creates a problem, such a big problem, that the Gibeonites, because they have gone in cahoots with the Israelites, start getting warring nations to come against them. And so the Gibeonites call out to Joshua and say, hey, listen, we established a covenant together, so you need to come and help us. And so Joshua goes to fight on behalf of the Gibeonites, who he should have never made a covenant with, and in the midst of that battle, we find one of the most intriguing verses in all of Scripture, and certainly in the book of Joshua. When Joshua is fighting against these prevailing armies, he prays to God to make the, stand, the sun stand still. We find it in chapter 10, verses 12 to 14. It says it stood still for about a day. And what's interesting about that, number one, it reveals the sovereignty of God over all of creation, so many try to explain this away. If you have created all of the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything that there is, I think you can probably put it on pause for just a moment. And he pauses the sun, but it also reminds us of our own responsibility. Notice what it did for Joshua. It made him fight longer. If the sun had just gone down, he could have called it a day. But the sun stood out. And his responsibility was to keep on fighting. Many of our battles are fought the same way. They go on a lot longer than they wish, that we wish that they would. But in the process, it makes us better understand our need for God. Joshua 12 through 15 contains that great slice of history that our men talked about this last Wednesday of Caleb asking for to take the land of the giants in chapter 14, verses 6 to 15. Caleb defeats the Anakim, the giants, and as we saw this last Wednesday, we were reminded of this through the book of Holy Grit, that what Caleb did after defeating the giants at the age of 85, he built an altar to God 
and worshiped him at the same place where Abraham centuries ago built the first altar to worship God in Israel. It's another fitting example of dividing out God's sovereignty and our responsibility, not to separate them, but to recognize that we divide them to realize that God is sovereign and he has given us responsibility and the two must be merged together for us to experience conquest. We must acknowledge that God is sovereign over our responsibilities, but we also need to see that our responsibilities are encased in his sovereignty. And Joshua 16 through 18, it's the setting up of the tabernacle, the ordination of worship to take place on this new and promised land. So as we continue to accelerate down Route 66, we come to the mile marker to Christ. And that's found in chapter five, verses 13 through 15. It says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. This is where Joshua met the Lord before they went into the battle of Jericho. And as Joshua came up to this being, unknowing who it was, he said, are you for us or are you against us? And the Lord said, I'm the one that's in charge. So take up your sandal, take off your sandals. You are on holy ground. Was this just an angel? No, this was the Lord. This was the incarnate Christ being revealed in the Old Testament. Because you don't bow down to a, an angel. You only worship God. You see, everything we have seen in the book of Genesis through Joshua to this point, Everything is pointing us to Jesus Christ and reminding us that he is our only hope for resolving our problem of sin. Even Joshua's name is telling us something. It means the Lord is salvation. And in Greek, that's translated to Jesus. So where do you find yourself in the book of Joshua? I think that's pretty easy. You turn to Joshua chapter 24. Many people have this over the doorframe of their house or somewhere in their house. In Joshua 24, the great leader is about to die and he's retelling the story of God's deliverance and creating and making them into a nation of how God has been at work. And then in chapter 23, verse 14, he reminds them that every single promise that God has made has not failed. Friends, I know for some of you, you feel like a promise is failing in your life right now. I will tell you, I feel that way in mine. I know the hurt of something not playing out the way that you desire. I'm living that right now. And I want you to know, just like I tell myself, God is always faithful. And every single promise he has given is true. So what, what, jo what Joshua says to the people of God is much what Moses said when he was about to depart. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You can choose to worship all these other gods of the people in the land. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I pray that for all of us, that will be where we find ourselves in the book of Joshua. As for me and my household, regardless of what the rest of the world does, we will serve the Lord. The Bible is one story in 66 books, as we've said so many times. That story is this, we have a horrible problem, and God has the solution. What's our problem? Our sin separates us from holy God. 
We're told that in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament all throughout the scripture. And the Bible says, we can say, okay, that's, that's a problem. But the Bible tells us that that's the worst kind of problem. There is not a problem worse than our sin. But the beauty is that God has the solution. When you go to a standard dictionary and you open it up to the letter W, and you find the word worse and the word worst, it is separated by one word. The word between worse, from things going from worse to worst, is worship. And when we turn to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it is the buffer between worse and worst. Our response to what Christ has done for us will dictate the outcome of our existence, both in this life and in the life to come. Friends, God didn't just save us for heaven. He saved us from sin, the power of sin in our lives. So if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd love for you to join me in a prayer similar to this and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about it, though. Don't do it casually. Don't do it to appease someone else. If you voice a prayer similar to this out of a heart that is determined to follow God, make sure that you are making an eternal commitment. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this book. We thank you for all of your books, each and every one, regardless of the context or the content we see that it points us to you. And I pray for any of my friends in this room or listening online that have never received you as Lord and Savior, that they would recognize that they do have a very serious problem, their sin. But you have a perfect solution called Christ. This, we pray that this would be the day they would voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Oh Lord, that, may that be the prayer of us all, that we wouldn't just turn to you in hopes that you would save us from an eternal punishment of our sins, but you would save us from the power of sin in our lives and because of that, we would establish a relationship that we can enjoy forever with you. Lord, may we fully surrender to you with all that we are and all that we have. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And we're gonna move into our Lord's Supper now. And so I'm gonna invite our deacons to come up and begin to take the elements and start to distribute those. And as we do that, a reminder to all of us, uh, all of you that are with us, some of you may not yet be members of Westgate. You may be visiting today. This Lord's Supper is open to you if you are a Christian who has made a profession of faith in Christ publicly and been baptized by immersion as a demonstration of that. We'd love for you to join us to express our gratitude for who God, what Christ has done for us. So these elements will be passed out to you. You'll find that there's just one cup. There's really two cups in one there. Just pull those out and the, the wafer is underneath in the bottom cup. Help each other to get the, the elements to one another. And we'll come together in just a moment to have prayer and to receive these elements together.
trust you. such an interesting connection between Joshua and the Lord's Supper. Joshua chapter 5, remember that the Passover, which became symbolic of what Christ would say, this is my body and blood. In Joshua chapter 5, God would say to the people as they observe the Passover, they become negligent of that. So now they're in the promised land and they observe the Passover the first time. And he says, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has rolled away the reproach of your sin. That's something for us to celebrate, and that's why Jesus would say, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Going back to the symbolism of the Passover, Jesus would again say, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. That verse continues by saying that whenever you do this, as often as you drink this cup, partake of this bread, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We're reminded that we are proclaiming who Jesus Christ is by what we have done until he comes to receive us back to himself. What a great thought. Let's stand together, join our hearts and our hands as we sing the doxology and conclusion of our service. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.